So you know what? I'm I'm coming into this episode with a bit of an announcement. I've I've recently subscribed to a somewhat controversial ideology called uh, anti Nathanism. Um, I just I just really don't like Nathan. Uh, my slogan is Nathan Maloney is a jabroni. So what about you, Isaac? I'm a bit I'm a bit speechless, which isn't particularly helpful for a podcast. I know. I think I'm also going to shock you as well. I'm shocked by you, but I'm going to shock you now. I think I've done a full 180 on 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 Nathan. I mean, last episode I was with you. I I, I we hate Nate was my slogan, um, but now I I'm a Nathan lover. You know, you could call me Stuart. Davis on Davis. This is the podcast all about the entire works of Russell T. Davis. I'm Louis Davis. And I am Zach Copeland Green. But uh, we're starting at the start, and by the start I mean where it gets interesting. Queer as Folk, the, the show that put him on, on the map, truly. I didn't know he was on the map. Last time I looked at the map I couldn't find him. Well anyway, before we get into the episode, have you done anything fun or gay or... Because those are the two main things that happen in the show, so... I, um... <laughs> so remember last week where I said I, I went on a night out in Withington? Uh, Louis, I went on another night out in Withington. Uh, but this time it started in Fallowfield. So if you'll remember, Vince lives in Fallowfield. And Phil, um, rest his soul, uh, he lived past tense in Withington. So I did a sort of a queerest folk homage at Pub Crawl. Um, but didn't quite make it to to Canal Street. Oh, who who were you, who were you with? Um, I was with I was I was I was with. Oh my god, this feels the Spanish Inquisition over here. I was with some friends. Um, it was a friend's birthday, and she was a she was a she went to university um in Manchester. So Fallowfield and Willington are very studenty areas. So she did went to we went to like the classic student haunts, which is very interesting as someone who didn't go to the University of Manchester to see um my home city through the eyes of students. Wow. Social convention would tell me I now need to ask you the same question. So I went to a Korean restaurant, uh, and that doesn't sound particularly gay. Uh, it's not really, but what I did discover is, firstly, so I've had Korean food before, but I feel like I've been sleeping on it somehow because this Korean food was was actually amazing. Like, I'm completely sold. I thought K-pop and, and K-dramas were, you know, part of a government trying to sort of market itself to... Um, other pop culture environments and that is true but clearly they're onto something because you know the koreans know how to cook a meal but what i did discover is i tried something for the first time soju it's kind of like rice wine so it's kind of like sake but my my dad was saying that it's, it's actually better than sake it's sake is a bit too dry which i don't know how that works with liquid but apparently that yeah this one wasn't as dry which is which is a good thing uh for, for me it was just like it just answered the question what if vodka was nice? Like, what if vodka tasted good? What if vodka was enjoyable to drink? What if vodka wasn't just the thing that makes lemonade alcoholic? So I'm, I'm just coming onto a podcast to formally endorse soju. Uh, check it out if you, if you drink alcohol and also drink responsibly. I've got two questions. Um, well, one of them is actually a statement, but that's classic. You know, every, everyone asks a question that's a statement. And um, I actually, on this pub crawl when we were in Fallowfield, I, I had vanilla vodka for the first time in a Coke. That was nice vodka, Louis. Okay, was it nice because of the vodka or was it nice because of the vanilla? I'll tell you what it tasted like. It tasted like 
vanilla Coke. And it was actually a, a Weatherspoon's Pepsi. I actually, no, I know what you're talking about. That is nice. But the thing is, soju, you can drink it on its own and it's nice. That's what I'm saying. Fair enough. I need to, maybe I need to try um, vanilla vodka to, to, on its own to see if I can still prove you wrong. My second question, which is actually a question, unlike the previous statement. So technically, this is my first question, is... Um, how on earth were you sleeping on Korean food? Because, like, surely that's quite messy. Sorry, sorry, I had to do it. I had to do it. I had to do it. Let's get into the episodes. So today we're covering episode five, The Date. We also watched episode six, but we have so much to say that we're just going to cover the date today. Uh, we're recording this on the 23rd of January, Louis. That's that's the date. Oh, you were telling me the uh, the name of the episode. Sorry, sorry. I thought you were asking me to tell you the date. Never mind. Let's let's carry on with the episode. I'm actually very reluctant to have people peek behind the curtain, so it's going to take me a lot of willpower to not edit that out. <laughs> the current day is when this goes out, which should be the 10th of February. So hello, people, on the 10th of February. We well, hope you're enjoying the build-up to Valentine's Day. Unless, of course, you're listening to this in the far future when we're famous and we're on episode 300 of the, the Davis on Davis podcast and we're talking about we finally caved in and we're going through... Um, well, we can cut this bit out. I don't know where it's going. So, episode five of the day. And now, you were telling me that these two episodes are your favourites so far. Like, I'd say I thought episode three and four were my favourite so far, so... I'll tell you and our um, faithful listener exactly why I think that. And I think so far... And this might sound like sound like a criticism of the first four episodes, but I felt that what we have seen so far is sort of the characters meandering. Like, we talked a lot how the first episode is just a night out, and then the third episode is also just a night out. And that, I don't mean that as a criticism. What I mean is so far we have sort of watch the characters we've got to know who these people are what their internal conflicts are and we've had a, a good time with them but character drama on television usually has an inciting incident and, and we've had the death of phil which has given us sort of one one episode's worth of drama but i think in episode five continuing into episode six we start to see the, the show's main conflict. And I think if I were um, pitching this show to a company to get it made, um, and I say that because I'm currently in the midst in my master's talking about how you pitch an idea to a production company, I would talk about the main conflict between Vince and Stuart and the sort of tension, because as we see in episode five and six, Vince's dating life finally gets interesting and that causes... I want to say a rift between him and Stuart. And I think there we go. Okay, this is really, these characters are so well established that this is what the show was always coming to coming towards. And I sort of enjoyed starting to see the drama unfold, if that makes sense. Well, let's find out. So we start off um, in a almost formulaic way where Stuart's hookups sort of leave his apartment as his sister and kids arrive. This is the new thing, new character alert. Uh, Stuart's sister... She has two kids. She's telling him he has a date. We're honestly not too bothered about this because we're watching two guys leave his apartment and it's hilarious. But as it turns out later, at some point during this interaction, she did ask him to babysit them. And then following on from this fact that um, something a little bit different, meeting a new character five episodes into the series, we also now see in the twist of the formula... Uh, Nathan leave a guy's house. Nathan now is finally sleeping with other people who aren't Stuart. Um, but he sort of fobs him off outside 
we sort of get um, a really interesting reversal of roles. I don't know if you notice that throughout the episodes, but sort of... I think, I don't even think it's a reversal. I think it's a handing down of roles. I think, oh. you know, Stuart was Nathan Stewart, and now Nathan is Daniel Stewart. But he doesn't do it in quite the, what I think is quite... That's the name of the hookup, by the way, Daniel. Oh, brilliant. There isn't an exact echo of... Nathan stealing Stuart's lines. There is Daniel echoing Nathan's, am I going to see you again? And Nathan doesn't quite steal Stuart's line because I don't think Nathan is good as is as good a Stuart as Stuart is. And I don't mean good in a morally way because I'm not saying what Stuart's done is good. Good at being a Stuart. Exactly. He wouldn't, exactly. he wouldn't be in the highest earning band for being a Stuart, you know? No, exactly. He's, he wouldn't get promoted to the top. He's still um, an apprentice in the office, a junior. He's a junior, junior role. Yes, in Stuart's office. That's not happening. He's not interning at Stuart's office. So that's No, 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 no. We're, we're doing fan fiction at this point. It's a metaphorical office. Um, and then, as we follow Nathan, we find out that he is still staying at Hazel's, that's Vince's mother. And Hazel's on the phone with Vince at the supermarket, and he tells her he's been there a fortnight. So, like, that's how we find out that it's been a fortnight. He's still there after two weeks. Which I kind of, I really enjoy. This is my favourite time jump in the episode, because I like how established everyone feels in their roles. And I'm rather, you know, I said at the the beginning of of the episode that I was now... I haven't quite turned 180 on Nathan. I don't love Nathan, but I kind of don't hate him anymore. I still have mixed feelings about this scenario, but I quite like how the drama has sort of settled him into this role at Hazel's. And it's quite an interesting scenario, especially when um, it's the morning, it's a school day. And rather like a set of divorced parents, Vince's mum hands Nathan over to his own mother and then Nathan's mother hands over a, 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 I was about to say a wad, a wad of cash. It's not quite a wad of cash, um, but she pays Hazel. Yeah, I did love that bit. It's just a, it's just like a twenty or something. Just... She pays um his expenses. That's crazy. Twenty quid wouldn't get you anywhere these days. And also the fact that Hazel is also mothering. Mm. You know, she berates him for disappearing um on a school night, and like you know, you could have been dead. And it turns out that she is trying to wear him down. Uh, not give him a pass, not give him a break. Uh, this is not a safe space. This is a, this is a, this is an alternative family arrangement. And you're in the alternative family. You will follow <laughs> the alternative house rules. But she still lets, um, she still gets Vince to buy him Weetabix on his, uh, colleague discount. <laughs> yes. Very interestingly, we find out, not quite in this scene, but these, these are the pair of episodes where we find out that he works at Tesco, doesn't he? Okay. I didn't realise it was Tesco. Yes, they don't say the what they don't say the The colour scheme isn't very Tesco. Is that what it used to look like? They don't say the big T word, but they do talk about club card points. Now unless If it's not trademarked, if it's not a trademark term. Uh, maybe I ought to do more research before each episode of the podcast. I am not a supermarket recent history expert. So I can't tell you then if I've actually just made a blundering error and he doesn't work in a Tesco, he does just work in a generic supermarket that has a card. Fan theory, he actually works in the metaphorical supermarket from Cucumber. Mm. Any Cucumber fans? Uh, resounding, resounding silence. Just me? That's because we can't hear the, the listeners. They can only hear us. Right, and then we're at the supermarket with Vince and who shows up? But Cameron Roberts 
And for those of you who, like me, are constantly confused by the names in this episode... Australian guy. That still wouldn't help me. Australian guy at Phil's funeral. There we go. The accountant. And finally, um, I'm vindicated um, because we do find out that he was indeed flirting with Vince. He wasn't just being a weirdo that was getting Vince and Stuart genuinely mixed up. He asked Vince out on a date, which is which is kind of crazy. We finally get a more standard, dare I say, heteronormative idea of dating in the show. Hence the reason why the episode is called The Date. It's not talking about a produce that um, Vince has picked up on the supermarket. Well, he certainly picked up something. No, I do love dates, though. Do you like dates? Um, no, I can't say I do. I can't say I do. Dates are the best. I just want to. I just want to endorse dates in this episode. So do dates. But Vince has picked up a date from the supermarket. There's a bit in there somewhere. I'm not talking about the date stone. <laughs> so now we get some amazing Stuart antics. He travels from his office just to talk to Vince about this date. Just to tell him, hey, you know, you got to go on a date or, or you shouldn't go on a date or you should come out with me or who, uh, who knows. Uh, I love that he, he, he can just ditch his office and do some gay drama and then, and then come back to the office uh, to continue where he picked up, where he left off. I wouldn't be surprised if um, Stuart doesn't secretly run the whole company, you know, because he's clearly he's making bank because he lives in that massive apartment and he just comes and goes whenever he chooses, you know. And he's got an assistant yeah. um, who's at his beck and call 24-7, it seems. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like the secret... What's that program? Secret boss. I wouldn't be surprised if Stuart's the secret boss. Undercover boss. Undercover boss. Yeah. And that's why um, in episode two, we see him in a meeting and they're looking at shirtless men because he's got some secret agenda running. It's all a conspiracy theory. Yes. And Stuart just wants to push the gay agenda. So they're chatting in a car. We also find out that Nathan is not the first person to use Vince to get to Stuart. It turns out that that's happened before. He brings up another time. I love the world building. I love that sort of as we spend more time with these characters, you know, the the, the backstory keeps getting fleshed out in all these little lines. You don't need, like, actual flashbacks. You can just have good writing. And we get a beautiful bit of detail um, about uh, Stuart and dating. And um, he once went on a date, but he shagged the waiter. Yes. So in character. So in character. But it does highlight that dates are quite alien to these men. And I'm not saying they think that um, those fruits came from the sky. I mean that they're so used to just picking up guys in clubs um spending the night with them and, and throwing them away that the idea of sitting down and having a conversation where you can actually hear each other seems mad to them the one gay without tinnitus <laughs> which is cameron roberts so now Stuart's storyline he's been introduced to a new client who he needs to make him sign some deal you know it's a business thing it's like you know we've got a contract we need you to sign it and the guy's named martin martin brooks you know, he has a wife, so uh, Stuart is expecting to sort of do something a bit sort of fancy, like, you know, um, sort of woo him over dinner in a financial way. But actually, Martin is interested in uh, some of the nightlife in Manchester, I think, as he puts it. Vince says, is there no one who isn't gay? I think, uh, Stuart, you mean Stuart? Stuart. Yeah. See, even you're getting confused now. I am. Oh, my God. Do you want to tell... Um, also, I was about to say, do you want to tell... Do, I, do you want to hear a fun fact? Okay. Um, which is just me showing off the fact that I, I live in Manchester. One of the suggestions that 
um, Stuart's assistant makes to Stuart to take Martin out is to go to the Bridgewater Hall to see a lovely concert. I've been to the Bridgewater Hall on many an occasion, in fact. I went to see a, a David Bowie tribute act at the Bridgewater Hall, which is quite, it's a classic, it's a classical music uh, venue. Um, and then to basically go to a, a rock concert and like stand up and, and, and wave your hands in the air was a bit crazy. But there you go. No, that's funny. That's funny. That's, you get that a lot of the Brighton Dome. It's also like a classical music venue, but I've, I've been to gigs there. For some reason, they physically go to the Bridgewater Hall just for Martin to say, actually, I don't want to go to the Bridgewater Hall. And they do actually film it um, in the foyer and just outside. I'd recognise those doors anywhere. Oh, cool. I have a thought about Martin. Um, because obviously Martin is married with a wife and a child, and then it does turn out that he's a little bit fruity. He gave me massive Stephen Fry vibes, and I don't know if this part was written. He does, yeah. Was, was written sort of with Stephen Fry in mind, and then obviously the casting went in a completely different direction. Because like whenever there's something gay, a, TV, a gay TV show nowadays, Stephen Fry is always in a minor role. Like he he has a voice role in Heartstopper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's the king in Red, White, and Royal Blue. Uh, he was in It's a Sin. In a very similar part to Martin here, I feel. There you go. In a slightly different time period. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here talking about It's a Sin, and we're still talking about Queer as Folk on the podcast, but I feel like that is then this part finally, this bit part finally coming to fruition in a different bit part. Yeah. yeah. Um, Give me massive Stephen Fry vibes. So uh, Vince is at his mum's house, uh, Hazel, and he's asking her why... He can't just kick Nathan out. You know, why he can't tell Nathan, hey, get out of here. Nathan's mum is, is, I think, is also there. You know, she is scared that he'll, like, run away to London because he keeps, like, threatening to do it. And Because we saw him, we physically saw him threaten to become a rent boy in front of Hazel um, when he first went to Vince's mum's house. Um, and I can only... Pre- do you think he's saying that to his mum? Do you think he's saying, I- I'll pimp myself out? I mean, he's been with them for two weeks, you know, and he hasn't stopped being so shouty. So he's he's probably said a lot of stuff. So now it's the evening and Vince is on his date and Stuart is in Canal Street. Yes, he is. And he's taken um, Martin with him. Clearly very keen to see the uh, this particular nightlife. It's a bit of a sick... I say sick, do I mean sick? How? What do I mean by sick? It's certainly a noteworthy moment to see Stuart suggest to Martin that he get with that blonde young man over there who turns out to be Nathan, obviously pretending that he doesn't know Nathan. And then Martin... He goes through the same thought process that we did at the very beginning of episode one, and I remember the discussion that, that we had, Louis, about... Is it wrong that a youth is there? Because um, Stuart does then say, oh, the boy's 15 and Martin seems quite... Um, disgusted. Disgusted. Yeah. I think even at this point, something else um, is going on with Martin. And there's another reason why he doesn't want to get with Nathan, which I think is, is then revealed later. Okay. So Nathan, you know, he's sort of come there independently with Donna. Um, but it's it's the one bar they all go to. And he's with Donna and his Dan his Daniel, his hookup Daniel, his Daniel hookup, finds him, uh, tracks him down, and is like, hey, it's a me, you know, I'm seeing you again. Um, Nathan says to Donna, you know, like, we're leaving right now. But it's it's nice, because actually from here, 
they do become a bit of a crew. Like Daniel ends up reoccurring, mm. and it's it's funny because there are all these characters, and you just never know when you first meet them whether or not they're going to come back and become a recurring character. I think that's the point. And I suppose in real life, people are like that. You meet someone, and you don't know if they're going to become a massive. You know, you meet a stranger on your bus, and they could become your best friend. Art imitates life. Crazy. Yeah. And um, what's interesting is what do you make of when Daniel introduces himself? I say introduces when he says hi to to Nathan and Donna realizes that this is a young man called Daniel. She starts describing a strapping young lad. That's a different Daniel. Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting because basically this will have happened within the last two weeks. You know, Nathan, first he gets with Stuart and then he can't get over Stuart. And only after episode three and episode four cat does he you know now settle into uh living a more a more free and more promiscuous life so yeah the fact that in two weeks he's already found two daniels he's been busy well i i want to challenge you on this i don't think it is two different daniels i think um but because nathan is a little shit sorry shouldn't say that i'm actually on his side now i don't hate him anymore um, I think he, because we've already seen him boast and sort of, uh, especially in episode two, uh, be quite playful with the truth about who he's sleeping with. I just think he's over-exaggerated um, to Donna the calibre of man that he slept with. Wow. That's what I want to argue. But No, that's a good theory. I, I like that theory. Yeah. And I think he's being caught out on a lie, a, a white lie here by Donna. He's trying to cover by saying, oh, it's a different Daniel. Yeah, no, he, he doesn't want to admit that he cares about Daniel. Mm. And so he's like, well, it's a different Daniel. No, that's a really, that's a really good observation i really like that i, I I'm, I'm sold what can i say that's my uh, that's now now that's also my headcanon what can i say i just understand character drama and so um because the discussion he had with his mum earlier got a bit heated now vince at the date with cameron i might add um is on his phone and he he, he calls Stuart because he he knows that nathan is going to be there and he's like look you you gotta keep an eye on him and Stuart's like i don't i don't need to keep an eye on him you know, and he's like, yeah, he's your problem. And this is this is sort of a running kind of conflict is like basically how Nathan gets in the way of, of Stuart and Vince. And of course, now how Cameron gets in the way. But we'll get to that. I feel like at this point, we're taking for granted just how much Nathan has imposed upon Vince's life. We've seen him before. He just gets left holding the baby in the club. But now it's a literal fact of Nathan is existing in Vince's childhood bedroom. He's physically taking up his space. Yes. Um, that, that's crossing a, a lot of boundaries, I think. So then we get the phone scene. And if you haven't watched Queer as Folk, then we would recommend that you just watch the show, especially for like this scene, because we're not going to try and put it into words. But basically what happens is there's a bunch of people all trying to phone Stuart and some of them... Because Stuart keeps having to take new and new calls and over about different things, they all end up trying to phone Vince to tell Stuart something. And Vince is like, I'm not with Stuart. And so then he's talking to Stuart a lot. And the web of, 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 of intersecting plot lines gets sort of thicker and thicker. Uh, and Cam meanwhile, Cameron's just there watching Vince on his phone, getting, getting visibly pissed off. So the things we find out, right, is that 
Stuart hasn't come to babysit his sister's kids because she wants to go on a date. And obviously she can't, as a single mum, do that if she hasn't got a babysitter. So she's annoyed at him about that. His assistant calls to tell him that Martin's wife has called to say that their roof has fallen in. <laughs> their roof is, is broken, it's fallen in. And when he tries to tell uh, Martin, hey, it's it's your wife, you know, she needs to speak to you. He's like, I'm not here. <laughs> Martin hates his wife. He's a true, he's a true through and through boomer. What I love about this scene is that it keeps pulling the punches. There are so many punchlines in the point that Sandra is is obviously trying to establish where Martin Brooks is because Stuart is denying that he's with him. And there's a great moment where Vince, not knowing who Martin Brooks is, basically screams down the phone, who the fuck is Martin Brooks? Not realising... No, who the hell is Martin Brooks? Sorry, I made it slightly more... Don't put words Sorry, in his mouth. I shouldn't. Because he's like, who the hell is Martin Brooks? Because she thinks, well... If he's not with Stuart, then he's going to be with Vince. And then it ends up that when he's talking to Stuart's sister and he mentions Martin Brooks, then she's like, who the hell is Martin Brooks? Because all the calls are on the line, so they keep switching between calls and they end up like, it breaks down and they forget who they're talking to. And so everyone's just wondering, who the hell is Martin Brooks? It's absolutely genius comedy writing. And I can just imagine Russell T. Davis sitting there going this is the episode that leads to this scenario. It's so well built up and it's such a fantastic comedy moment. And I think what makes the scene even better is the context, is the idea that we know by now that if you want to know where Stuart is, you speak to Vince because Vince is always training. But we know that, we've seen that in the previous four episodes. And that's why what I said at the beginning, I don't, I'm not putting down the first four episodes because they meander, because we get such a great sense of who Vince and Stuart are and what their relationship is. And so it's, it's that ridiculous idea that this is the one night that Vince is not traipsing around after Stuart, that he's finally doing something for his own love life. That's actually quite serious. And he's not with Stuart. And then, then the other funny thing with the context is it's not just a funny scene on the phone it's the fact that vince is in quite a nice little restaurant with a boy with a man should i say an older man um on a date and he's doing i don't know if um if phone etiquette hadn't been established in there in the late 90s by this point i feel like it probably had been I, of course it has been i wouldn't i don't answer my phone um on at the dinner table certainly not when i'm on a date with my boyfriend i mean no I, I, I would never it is incredibly awkward it is incredibly cringe if you want to use an anachronistic word i th i completely agree with cameron when because what happens is is cameron actually comes to the rescue because he's hearing all this conversation he's like oh wait actually i know <laughs> who martin brooks is and we're like yes okay he can he can put all of these plot lines to rest he can wrap it up in a nice bow and so he grabs mrs phone he gets ready to make a call. He goes outside because when you take a call, you should go outside. So it's good that mm. Cameron is following etiquette by going outside. So he goes outside the restaurant with Vince's phone and he chucks it into the river. The canal, I should say. It's probably a canal. Yes, I think they're probably, um, if I'm not mistaken, it, it's sort of, it's giving Dean's gate. So not to boast, but I have been quite good at um, knowing where things have been filmed in Manchester without being told. Obviously, we're told Withington and Fallowfield for Phil and Vince's locations. But um, I thought, so. just to, to, to go off topic ever so slightly for a second, 
Um, Nathan lives in quite a bougie area, a bougie area of um, South Manchester. And looking at the houses, I was like, oh, that reminds me of a street in Didsbury, which is a lovely, um, it's like the, the poshest suburb um, in the South Manchester city um, borough. And then later in the episode, we see a scene and there's a, there's a road sign and I Googled the road sign and I was exactly correct. Um, sorry, that was slightly off topic for me to boast about my incredible um, geo-guesser Manchester knowledge. Um, but yeah, this scene is probably Dean's Gate. And my favourite thing about this scene is the way that Cameron walks away telling Vince to call him. And I sat there with my mouth open saying, how the hell is he supposed to phone him? And then Vince echoes my sentiment exactly. Yes, lovely bit of wit, lovely bit of humour. Yeah. And so naturally what Vince does right after that is uh is is find Stuart he just like goes to Stuart and he, he's able to find Stuart without a phone without texting him without find my friends because he knows where he'll be he's got his um he's got the Stuart sense he can sniff him out yes or he'll just go to Canal Street during the evening well no what I'm saying is he's always, he's always in the same place yeah exactly there's a routine you know you, you think you you talk about sort of married couples getting into a bit of a, a routine and it gets boring Maybe this is just their routine. Or is this the um pr- think about that. Pre pre the legalization of same sex marriage, this was how you codified um a gay marriage is you just kn- know someone's routine inside out. Yeah. They say some they say it used to be getting a mortgage together, but it's actually knowing exactly where someone is at all times of the day. Yes. So at, at the- oh, I was gonna say we get an interesting uh bit of dialogue at this point now where um we're back with Nathan and Daniel. And they're watching Stuart from across the bar. And this is fascinating. Daniel says that um, because of the age difference and the way that the youth of Nathan is that Nathan should be able to make a man beg. And what exactly do we think? Yeah, which man are we talking about? Is a man on any sort of register or or are we talking men in general? It's it is a it is a it is it is quite the line. But it does what does it put us in mind of, Louis? Stuart, I guess. Well we but I think it puts us exactly in mind of the end of episode one, when Nathan back when he, he was the the absolute smuggest little bastard in the world, he does say in six months' time, Stuart Allen Jones would be begging. And I immediately my my alarm bells are ringing going, oh, that's a vocal callback to episode one. The canon event is approaching. We also get, again, another interesting thing to me, Vince's reflections on the date that he's just been on with Cameron. And he's in, he's absolutely in shock. I I mean, it, it was, obviously it's not the best date in the world because, you know, Vince was on the phone for the most part. But he seems so, so surprised that, that two gay men would go on a date and not shag immediately afterwards. Now, what I would say to Vince is, uh, you were on the phone for most of the date, sweetie. Uh, that's not really reeking of sensuality. Yeah, you don't need a second date. You need a take two. Exactly. So he's in a bit of a, he doesn't think it's successful. No, and he's a bit annoyed. So he just, he does the classic thing of immediately spotting someone in the bar and being like, I'll have him. Yeah. I'm going to have him. And then I'll have someone and then this won't have been a waste of time. And this will actually have made me realise that actually I need to not go on dates. I just need to find guys. I need to stop being such a drama queen about it and just get on with it. So he gets on with it. He finds the guy. He takes him home. And what's amazing is that you kind of you kind of expect that this kind of scene we'd cut between Vince and everyone else. We'd cut back and forth. But 
we now enter a scene where we're, we're kind of trapped with Vince and this guy. There's no cutting away from it. Once this scene is over, it's morning. Everyone else's night, we don't get any more information on. We're just with Vince now. This is a this is a Vince moment, uh, and I, I make it sound terrifying and dreadful, like a horror movie. <laughs> in a in a way, we'll we'll see we'll see how horrific it truly it is. We've seen the horror movie that is Phil die having taken a man home. So can it be worse than that? I I don't know if I can say it's better because the first thing we find out is this fella kisses with his mouth wide open. It's quite realistic because I don't know if um. We often talk about how uh, when young people watch pornographic content, they're often presented a very unrealistic version of sex where things just immediately happen. There's no communication. There's no consent. Um, And then here we get what is actually a very realistic portrayal of making out where Vince has to just keep stopping every couple of seconds to say, you know, you could try closing your mouth a little bit. And I don't want to go into too much details about my own life, but I have been involved in the conversation on very similar terms to that. And I felt I felt quite seen. Now, I won't tell you which, which person I was in that conversation because we don't need to go there. I was just about to ask. No, 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 no. I just, let's just say um, the art of kissing isn't as easy as it's often presented on television. And so I really enjoy Russell T. Davies giving, giving some of the young folk a bit of education on, you know, it's, it's sexy to keep your mouth closed. Let's just say I completely empathise with Vince in this scene for no particular reason. I'm going to stop talking about this moment now before I sort of reveal too much about my inner psyche. So, you know, they're, they're, they're kissing and, you know, maybe now they can do something that isn't kissing and it'll be okay and we can just sort of move past this bit. And they do do something that isn't kissing, by which I mean they watch Genesis of the Daleks. The, the guy spots that Vince has Genesis of the Daleks and Vince is like, yes, I do have Genesis of the Daleks. I do have that classic Tom Baker Doctor Who story. And he's like, oh my God, can we watch it? And he's like... Why don't we watch it later? Because because right now we're hooking up. You know, post-nut clarity does wonders to the viewing experience of Genesis of the Daleks. <laughs> and the guy's like, no, let's watch it now. And, and so they do. And then he's sort of giving all this trivia. He's like, you know, this was the first time they ever saw Davros. And Vince is like, yes, I, I know, I know. It's my, it's my VHS tape. <laughs> this is like Vince's Vince. It's like Vince has found his Vince and Vince is doing a bit of self-reflection because he's like, oh my God, am I Stuart's this guy? Mm, do I agree with that? Do you agree? That's, that's a hot take. That's not canon. That's just a hot take. I'm going to say from episode one, I-, I was quite vocal about the fact that Vince is a fanboy, but he's not your traditional fanboy who, I- I'm going to say virgin or who sort of isn't cool, isn't socially acceptable. And here we see a man who... Already we find out that he's not very good at kissing, which means he clearly doesn't have too much experience doing it. And he's more interested in Genesis of the Daleks over um, sex. So I think this is more of a stereotypical male nerd than Vince is. He's a, he's a wildly different presentation of nerd than Vince is. So I, I wouldn't say that he's found his Vince at all, really. Okay. That's fair, that's fair. Um, the guy also says molto bene a few times. Which, in this context, I mean, obviously watching back with hindsight... Yes. This is this is a very funny moment. You go, oh, 
he's 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 quoting Doctor Who before Doctor Who is even quoting it. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, he's just a strange. He is just a really weird man who sits there watching Genesis the Daleks going molto bene. Well, I just honestly strange yeah fun fact for you yeah um, and i always say fun facts and it's never actually a fun fact it's just here i'm going to tell you an anecdote about myself now this was a scene from this episode that i had already seen before watching the episode in its entirety this is probably one of the first things i had seen in this um show probably because i'd watched like a a youtube compilation of all the doctor who references and queer as folk um and i watched this scene going I've probably never related to anything quite so hard in, in in my life. I think I am I am potentially one of those people that would probably get so distracted at the thought of a, an amazing or maybe that's just my ADHD. But obviously now, thanks to iPlayer, um I probably would be able to prioritize a bit more because you have to give our unnamed hookup man a bit of credit because he might not have been able to acquire a VHS of Genesis of the Daleks. Not that it's a particularly rare episode. It is considered to be one of the best. Here I am talking about Doctor Who a bit too much. Maybe we should move on to the next morning before I get carried away about Genesis of the Daleks. Yes. So we find out what happened of, of Martin and Stuart. They were both fine. None of them died. We're not doing that again. Uh, they're just sort of outside his office and, and Martin has to catch his train. Uh, but he's like, no, I'm going to cancel his train. I want to stay here. I love this. And Stuart is like, do you want to stay on Canal Street forever, wasting your life away in these bars? And he's very dramatic about it. And you wonder, like, is you're right, Stuart. Are you, are you doing a bit of self-reflection here? Are you, are you projecting a bit? And so after terrorizing Martin with a prospect that, um, that Manchester will, will suck him dry, uh, in a bad way, Martin is like, I'll, I'll catch my train. My train's at 11. I'll catch my train. Do you think here that Stuart is showing a bit of self-awareness that he's stuck in a system? Because I do think by this point of the show, We've been we've started off by celebrating the gay lifestyle and saying it's great that these men are free to be able to live the lives that they want. And now actually starting to question whether, you know, nearing 30, Stuart's actually fundamentally missing something in his life. And is this him displaying that he's aware of that or is this just a ploy that he's saying it to Martin? I think a bit of both. Yeah. Maybe he does want to get rid of Martin, you know? Oh, we definitely... The gang is already full of people that keep showing up. We don't need Martin in that. <laughs> Not to be ageist. Sounds like something an ageist would say. <laughs> All I'm saying is Martin should go home and fix his roof. Yeah. He should fix his roof and then fix his marriage. So Donna and Nathan are doing PE. They're walking on, like, some course in, like, a, a nature park, you know? Yeah. Is there one next to the school? How does that work? I do not know. Are they on the really, really big school campus? What I like about this scene is um, as they're talking, Nathan is, is smoking a cigarette. And I'm, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm copying the gesture. And again, I understand that faithful listener cannot see the gesture that I'm doing. But he's sort of, he's basically, he's smoking a cigarette in possibly the single most gay way you could smoke a cigarette. I'd love to see the stage direction here. Um, that probably does say he's smoking a cigarette very gaily. He's smoking cunt, is what he's doing. Yes. And it's it's nice. Is that the right choice of words? It's interesting to see Nathan f- in this setting fully embrace his homosexuality um, in the way that he is holding himself. We've seen him very shy and naive. We've seen him very boisterous. 
And now he's sort of not quite in the middle, but sort of slightly more neutrally, but just nicely camp, if you know what I mean, I think. Yeah. That's a, that's a nice reading. You know, I didn't I didn't really think of that. So I just I can get so much about I can get so much from a limperist. No, you can. I think cuz like these episodes are longer than the amount of content they're talking about. So <laughs> clearly we are we are doing some fine reading. We are we are spending our time on on this show. Uh so Donna warns Nathan about child services. She's like, you know, this living situation you've got if they find out could be really bad. And Nathan's like, you don't understand. You don't understand how hard it is for me because you're straight. And then she's like, I'm black and I'm a girl. Try that for a week. Because at this point, I was still I was still anti-Nathanist, you know. I was very much with Donna here. I was like, put him in his place. What do you think of the line? I love, I absolutely, it was sort of one of those Yas Queen scream. I already adore you, Donna, but I can't adore you more. Um, but I also, at the same time, was going, thank you, Russell. And I'm not quite on the hate train again, but I didn't want to slap Nathan at that point because it's important to recognize that the show has been so focused on white gay men so far. And that actually, if this show was being made today, which ironically it is over in the States, they're remaking the American version of Queer as Folk. The show is obviously a lot more diverse and really you can't, tell these stories without being aware of the intersectionality of what it is to be a black gay man, what it is to be a white gay woman, a black gay woman, a, a black straight woman. And so I think there's a, a subtle acknowledgement that although the show isn't quite breaking all the ground it could with its portray- portrayal, I think Russell T. Davies is aware of the limits he's under and is doing his best to sort of put in that that acknowledgement um and so i'm really glad that someone pokes um nathan in the ribs metaphorically speaking and that's that's donna yeah i think that is a good line but i wouldn't want to give him too much credit because uh so the next scene we're introduced to lance who's a black straight man who's staying with romy to try and Mm. to for visa reasons so he can stay in the uk when he's introduced, that is the moment I, I, I realise that, you know, there's no gays of colour or lesbians of colour mm. or anything. Like, all the yeah. queer characters in this are white, gay, cisgender people. Mm-hmm. And there, and I just wonder, like, could there not, could there not be one gay of colour? Just one? We get the Japanese prostitute, but... Um, oh, yes. No, of course. That, that's hardly... Could there not be one non-joke... Exactly. Non-joke character... Exactly. ...that's not white? Um, <laughs> one that speaks English. All right, well... <laughs> and just is British, you know? <laughs> well, not not in the... Just in the sense that Britain mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is more diverse mm-hmm. than just white people. That's what I'm saying. So wherever the gays of colour who are British. And thankfully, um, later dramas, which we'll talk about, um, obviously make steps in the right direction. Yes. But no, I think it's right that there's an there's a slight acknowledgement, but then there is also, yeah, I think we should be better to acknowledge the show's failings in that respect as well. Yeah. Um, but then again, you are asked the question, is Russell T Davies the person to tell these stories? Yeah, but you could still cast no of course of course of course but i'm sort of i'm sort of saying hopefully in the future new dramas will be continued to be made by by new writers that will tell all sorts of new stories that's what i mean yes yes so Stuart uh visits the lesbians and uh he finds out that nathan is there and he's like why is nathan here and 
they're like, oh yeah, we're, we're letting him stay because he can babysit Alfred. This show is just collecting alternative father figures for Alfred. <laughs> um, do you want to know a fun fact? And by fun fact, I do mean anecdote about myself. Yeah. So when Stuart arrives back um, at Romy's house, um, yes, I remember Romy's name. He has come back with Alfred because I think he's taken Alfred for the day, hasn't he? And he, Romy says, oh, where did you take him? And he says he took um, Alfred to Old Liege. Now, Old Liege is technically not in Manchester. It's in Cheshire. Um, it's a lovely, posh, woody part of Cheshire that's not too far from Manchester. And it's actually where um, my mum and her family are from. So that was a nice, I've got in my notes, I've just got in all caps, Old Liege reference, because um, it's nice to have. Uh, my family's place of origin included in there absolutely um that was again another fun fact that um probably only i find fun so apologies dear listener if there are any time travelers who want to track nathan down track <laughs> not track zach down um through his his lineage so Stuart is like why the hell is 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 nathan here but then we get another guy come in and it's like why the hell is he here and this is lance who i did just mention but this is where we actually see him for the first time it's funny because this is the episode where we start to see more of like the the lesbians' actual lives and like what's actually going on with them. And they're not just in a house with a baby, <laughs> you know, like they're doing their things. You know, they're trying to help people how they can. They want to help Nathan. They want to help Lance stay in the UK. Very noble. Which is more to the character of, I remember in, um, we talk about the scene where um, the lesbians, I hate that we're still calling them that, asked Stuart to sign a contract for life insurance. And you made the absolutely fantastic point, Louis, that it was kind of a disservice to the lesbians because of the amazing work the lesbian community did during the AIDS crisis. And here we get the great impression that Romy, as a representative of that group, is actually a really good person and is going out of her way um, to be helpful and supportive. Um, which is a great contrast to our our gay male protagonist. So I really like that detail and um, linking that to what you said. Thank you. That's, yeah, I have takes. What can I say? We do. We also, it's nice to learn that Romy has a job. Yeah, she works at a university. Yes, yes. They met doing like ethics classes to get like teaching ethics. Yeah. So she's smart. She's got a job. It's all going off for her. I, when's my Romy spinoff? She's an academic. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Vince is at his job and Rosalie shows up. Whenever Rosie shows up, you get that kind of sinking feeling of like, oh no, here we, here we are again. R- Rosalie's going to say something. Vince is going to pretend to be straight. It's going to make your hair want to turn white. I was just going to say, I have to admit, she's got a bit of a grating voice. That's all. That's all I was going to say. My flesh is crawling ever so slightly now with her. Maybe that that's not because of actual voice. Maybe that's from what exactly you're saying. You are anxious. Yeah, it's all, it's all subconscious, you know. It's a, a Greek tragedy, but instead of dying at the end, everyone's just going to be really pissed off with each other. <laughs> and so he's telling her about his plans. And, you know, eventually he lets on that he has a date. And she looks visibly upset and of course, she's assuming it's with a woman. She's assuming she she's gonna not be able to get with him now because he's her, you know, hetero hunk of monk, not of monk. That's from Peep Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, my skin is crawling just talking about. It. I don't know. There, there's sort of, and it's all it's all implicit. It's all just like it's all just a shame because I do feel that we are supposed to feel at this point maybe ever so slightly sorry for her because Vince 
hasn't been able to tell her. And I, I really get the impression that he hasn't even told her that, you know, he doesn't want to maybe see her again. He's not blown her off in the slightest. He's probably just, in inverted commas, ghosted her. Obviously, he can't really ghost her because they work together. But he's kind of just ignored the fact that they kind of went on a semi-first date that wasn't really a first date, was just them gathering in the pub. But what is a first date if not just a gathering in the pub? And then she's probably hopeful that something else will happen, and obviously he's a thousand miles away. So maybe he's in the wrong for not for not telling her. Yeah. And uh, Stuart goes over to his sister's house, and this, this morning, it's nice, because we're sort of seeing a lot of the pieces get picked up from last night. The fact that these people's lives continue after after the night and so we saw we we wrapped up martin we're wrapping up vince and now we're wrapping up stuart because he goes to his sister next to try and make it up to her about not being there he tries to write her a check he's like she needs some money and it's like she needs to go on a date is what she needs she she needs a guy who will treat her right. She needs some ethical dick, and and you're denying her that. Maybe he's thinking that she'll use the money to buy a babysitter to be able to go on the date. Maybe that's what he's thinking. That might be, yeah, yeah. But he's not communicating, Stuart. He cannot communicate with he's anyone. Not communicating. That is his issue. So then Vince trying to make up make it up with Cameron now to resolve another thread. Uh, he's like, hey. Why don't I take you to Canal Street? Why don't I show you my my side of town? You know, we've seen your thing. Let me show you my thing. And because, I mean, the fact that Cameron is still interested. Well, he really likes Vince. That's pretty amazing. He really likes Vince. Good, because, like, I know I can imagine for a lot of people that would be a, a deal breaker of being on your phone. It's like, no, I'm not going to waste my time with this scrub but but cameron is willing to give it another go but i think and going back to what i said at the top of this episode the reason i think we've had quite a few episodes with these characters before we get into the real drama of the series is because i think vince is just such a good guy and Stuart is you know in the words of vince and nathan an absolute cunt and we already know that and so i think if this had been the first episode of the series and we'd seen that phone call, we would have thought, ah, oh, Vince is a rude bastard. But we already know him. We kind of know that know the unique set of circumstances that have led that there. And I think Cameron sees the same thing that we've seen. Obviously, he's not seen the last four episodes of Career as Folk, but he's able to see all the good in Vince just as the audience can as well. Yeah. So that's why he likes him. But when he arrives at Canal Street, Cameron just sees it as exactly the same as Sydney. Mm. You know, he says, I've been to bars in Sydney... Australia is literally on the other end of the planet from us. It's it's about as far as way as you can get. I know like Spain and New Zealand are antipodal. You know, he's he's come literally halfway around the world and they look the same. This the same or he says it's the same guys, I, I should say. I will tell if I if I saw Cameron, you know what I'd say to him? I say there's something that Sydney does not have in its gay clubs that Manchester does. Poppers. And that's Hazel T- that's Hazel Tyler. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and finally it's come to fruition. It is a bit weird that she frequents the gay clubs and pubs and therefore can see when her her son is out and about on the pool. I was like, ooh, it's a bit odd this time again. Yeah. <laughs> She's sneaking around trying to catch a look. Wow. And who else is in the, in the club? Um, Who's always in the club? Everyone's favourite teenager... 
He isn't a club, right? I'm not Miss Randy. I don't remember. He probably, you know what? He probably oh, no, is. No, he's not. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's Stuart. It is. That's what, that's where I was going. But Nathan's probably there somewhere. Yeah, Nathan is probably. No, this is actually surprising because I was just sort of expecting Nathan to be But now I realize actually this scene, and it is a great like three person scene between just the three characters now, which is sort of, we're so used to seeing entourages and like posses and groups and, you know, the gang. But tonight it's just three people. And so. We do get this explosive kind of unstoppable object, immovable force, immovable object, unstoppable force. Uh, but it's Cameron and Cameron and Stuart. We got there in the end. Cameron ob- obviously being the object and Stuart obviously being the force. Yeah. And they clash. We can tell straight away from the way that Stuart is walking. And as he walks up to Cameron, um, he is absolutely out of it. He is pissed out of his mind um just by the way he's walking and then by the way that he talks when he's talking to Cameron which is shocking to us because we've seen Stuart um out boozing you know taking those mysterious drugs in episode one um snorting something in the bathroom with Vince um in episode three you know we're no stranger to seeing him out on the town but I don't think we've ever seen him in such a sorry state as we see him at this moment, and then a similar moment in um, episode six. It reinforced my thesis I had throughout watching this entire episode, that Vince and Stuart, just as at the beginning I said that we had that discussion about how Nathan has taken on Stuart's role, I actually think as well Vince has taken something of a Stuart role and Stuart's taken something of a Vince role in this, that sort of Vince is finally the one that's lucky in love and Stuart's traipsing around after him. I reckon they swapped roles. It reveals a a sort of codependence Mm. that we maybe hadn't seen so much because we'd only ever seen it from one perspective, but actually they lean on each other. Yeah. It is interesting to see like Stuart. I mean, I think, you know, financially and everything, he's fine, but like emotionally he is on a bit of a spiral and we're going to see this in the next episode too, that yeah, he's not doing well. And he's like immediately pissed when we first see him in the club or in in the uh, bar. And I agree when, um, so Vince, after this, he ends up taking Cameron home and Cameron says, oh, your mate made a pass at me. And I kind of think that's what Stuart was doing. He doesn't, the dialogue that we see, we don't see him directly saying that, but I do think there's an implication in the dialogue that Stuart is trying to come on to Cameron or at the very least steer Cameron away from Vince. Now, Vince is very doubtful that his best friend in the whole world would do this to him. But I definitely, from what I saw, I definitely see some jealousy in that codependence between the two. Exactly. Because, like, Vince doubts that Stuart would fancy Cameron just because, you know, you're not his type. But it's not that Stuart really fancies Cameron. I think he just doesn't like the fact that someone else has taken such an important role in Vince's life. But, you know, eventually they make up and we get another freeze frame. I've noticed this. Whenever whenever an episode ends in sex, we get a freeze frame. And finally, it's Vince's turn to freeze, fr- uh, freeze yes. frame. We're, we're, full, we're full on reversing. Yes. Um, Although I imagine Cameron's probably one doing the freeze framing to Vince, but you know, <laughs> or no, I should I shouldn't I shouldn't make any uh, presumptions there. What I love about the end of this episode is we've already we've seen in this episode Vince cop off with that weird weirdo, and then f- they kind of fail to get to the shagging part because this other guy is too much of a nerd. And then Cameron arrives at Vince's house and sees some Doctor Who tapes. And he's like, ah, 
I used to watch that as a kid. It was scary. He was in John Pertwee's era. Yes, he, he references. Which is interesting because I wonder if that's sort of a bit of clever writing to sort of indicate that Cameron is a bit older than... I think that's exactly what um, RTD is doing there. What actually I think this evokes is that's a very normal response this kind of oh yeah i used to watch that as a kid yeah it was quite good oh hey it's that kid show i watched as a kid when i was a kid yeah yeah exactly and i think vince is attracted to that he sort of on the one hand he's not disrespect vince's interest on the other hand he's not got this really weird response to it and i i personally in my own dating life you know being an absolute nerd i have tried to find a partner who you know, can respect and appreciate my own interests um, and, and doesn't complete and doesn't have complete disinterest, you know, find a boyfriend who will watch Doctor Who with me, but not a boyfriend who is just as obsessed of, as I am. You know, I want someone to ground me. Yeah, who won't explain it back to you with you going, I know this is my tape. Exactly. And I think just as I have found that man, Vince has also found that man. And that's why he leaps upon him. And he doesn't care that they end up making out um, and pushing over his neat pile of, of tapes. It's a happy ending of an episode for Vince. And I'm happy. I will neither confirm nor deny whether I have a man so that the viewer feels more comfortable developing a parasocial relationship <laughs> with me. <laughs> and so that's where episode five ends. And that's also where this podcast ends. Uh, we've decided to switch to doing one episode per podcast because it turns out we, we just have a lot of things to say sorry we just have I, a lot of things to say <laughs> i like talking hence why no I it's good it's good don't worry about it yeah so um but please do join us next week for episode six of queer as folk where we'll be finding out if nathan can redeem himself in the eyes of zach Woo-hoo. he can we already know he has but you know we'll find out why so Zach, what do you what do you think of this episode? Um, this is where for me the show really gets going, and this was the episode that I watched where more than any other I was like, I want to watch the next episode. So I hope you viewer, sorry listener, I always get the two mixed up. You are chomping at the bit and are absolutely shocked that we've split to one episode an episode, and that you can't wait for next week to find out our opinions on episode six. Yes. So, thank you for listening to Davis on Davis. You can follow us on Instagram at Davis, full stop on, full stop Davis. Uh, you can follow me at Louis on air, actually also with a full stop between the words. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Louis on the air, all one word. Uh, and you can also f- check out Lit Lab London to see the science communication stuff I do. And Zach, do you want to plug anything? Yeah, so um, I, um, I'm currently streaming uh, Posh People playing Dungeons & Dragons. Um, it's a bit of live play. You can follow us on all social media at RPRPGs. That's brilliant. Actually, another peek behind the curtain. So this is, this is recorded just before the first episode goes out, so we have no idea how this podcast is being received. So uh, please like us. Goodbye. Goodbye.